This episode is brought to you by JBM SOS, a new on-demand talent solution for VC and PE-backed startups and scale-ups. SOS gives clients access to a pool of over 200 high-profile scale-up COOs, GMs, and ops strategy consultants on an interim or project basis. So, if you're a founder or investor looking for fast access to world-class talent to help you execute and scale at pace, let our JBM SOS team be your partner in growth. To learn more, get in touch at info at jbmc.co.uk. It takes a certain type of person to trade being in a plush skyscraper in the middle of Manhattan for a trading estate on the outskirts of Leeds. But that's exactly what today's 40-minute mentor Tom Elvidge did when he moved from Goldman Sachs to Uber, which at the time was a little-known new entrant into the UK market. Tom played a fundamental role taking Uber from a three-person operation in a windowless room to becoming one of the most recognisable companies in the UK. There were a few high-profile bumps along the way, but that's what's so great about Tom. He's not afraid to admit it, and in this episode he openly shares the lessons he's learned from both his Uber days and also his subsequent role as a MIA COO at WeWork. We also got to talk about Tom's new role as CEO of Arrival Mobility, a much-lauded tech unicorn that has set out to revitalise public transportation with cutting-edge, zero-emission electric vehicles. We cover some great topics in today's episode, including what Tom learned from his early consulting career, including the importance of taking your work seriously, but not yourself. We also discuss how being open-minded about the roles that have come his way have been so crucial to his successful career to date, and how being a good leader often means trusting others and giving them the space to make mistakes. I've had the pleasure of knowing Tom for a number of years, and I really admire him, so it was great to chat about his scale-up career. He's always so honest and never afraid to attribute his success to people around him. This episode is full of priceless golden nuggets of advice. So whether you're in consulting like he was at the start of his career or in a high growth scale up, I'm sure you'll learn a lot from his experience and his brilliant advice. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with the inspiring Tom Elvidge. Tom, welcome to the 40 Minute Mentor. We've known each other for a little while now and I've been really looking forward to getting you on the pod. So I'm absolutely delighted that you're here and we're going to kick off, as we always like to, with a 30 second overview of your CV, if that's okay. Thanks, James. Yeah, great to be here. 30 second overview of my CV. I suppose the common thread through it is I've worked in sort of some different forms of transport and mobility since leaving university. I, first of all, in consulting, I worked in management consulting for about 10 years and then went to a few companies with, with I suppose, focused on transport, but with a few different steps along the way as well that no doubt we'll get into. Amazing. I'm, I'm really excited for this one because uh, we, we were first introduced when you were making that move from consulting to Uber and then you've gone on to do some incredible things over the last few years, which we will unpack over the course of this conversation. But um, I, I always like to start at the beginning and I'm always interested in leaders like yourself, what, what, kind of what the grand plan was when you were younger. Was it to be the CEO of a tech business? Um, what, what were those early aspirations for you? Yeah, no, no, I mean, I, I was, I suppose, fortunate or unfortunate that I never really had a fixed idea of what I wanted to do when I was younger. At school, really enjoyed 
uh, technology and making stuff. I've always had that sort of side to me. So one of my A-levels was in design and technology, and that meant that you could just basically go and use the workshop that had a lathe and a milling machine and just all this cool stuff that I would spend tons of time in. And that then took me into a degree in engineering because I, I assumed it would sort of be more of the same. And so that was the first, I guess, pivotal decision was to go into engineering. And then from there I left and rather than pursuing a career in engineering, as many of my friends did from the course, by that time, after four years of doing a master's degree at Nottingham, I was really interested in doing something a bit more with a tech edge. So I was mm. very fascinated by everything that was going on around technology at the time. And that sort of led me to consulting. It felt like that was a good starting place. It was a, a Accenture, first of all, who, you know, very much a tech consulting company. And it felt like that was not a bad place to begin, you know, a sort of proving ground to, to set out. So to any extent that there was a plan, that was how it... <laughs> It came about. No, good stuff. Yeah, and you, and you ended up spending sort of close to 10 years in consulting, as you mentioned, at Accenture, Morehouse, and then in-house consulting at, at Goldman Sachs. Tell me a little bit about the, the, the thinking behind going into consulting and, and kind of what led you to, uh, to, to kind of deciding that Accenture was the right place for you at that time. I think the decision to go into consulting was largely due to, it, it felt like somewhere that would give you a bit of a broad scope so if like me you didn't really have a fixed idea of what the career choice was going to be consulting seemed like a good option and Accenture was just you know looked like a good company I had some friends there actually who had graduated from university before me and had joined Accenture and you know said good things about it so it was nothing more complex as a decision than that initially <laughs> I ended up having a great, great time there. I stayed for about just under three years and it, it, I went up to Newcastle. I traveled out to India and, you know, the, it was very all consuming, but it was a mm. like-minded bunch of talented young people who were just, you know, really wanted to have a good experience and see a bit of the world and have some fun along the way. So it was a great place to begin, actually. Yeah. And we've seen, I guess, over the years, so many executives in, in, in tech and scale-ups have that kind of consulting grounding. It's clearly a great place to kind of learn some some transferable skills, which we talk a lot about in, in our role at JBM with candidates. Just before we come on to some of the skills you learned in that time, because I think that would be really interesting for any any consultants that listen to this podcast. Um, I just wanted to talk about Morehouse, actually, because I've, I've had the great privilege of getting to know Don Morehouse, uh, who's a brilliant entrepreneur and, you know, built a very successful business. And you moved, you moved from Accenture to Morehouse in probably some of the early, early days of Morehouse. What, what made you take the leap? Because in a way that was probably the start of your first entrepreneurial move. I would be fascinated to, to hear a bit about that. Cause I know there'll be others listening to this that might be looking to get out of consulting the sort of big beast, but actually maybe before they move into industry, that kind of more entrepreneurial consulting option might be a good one. Morehouse was a really interesting place and somewhere that I feel like I owe a lot to. And I was quite enjoying the work that I was doing with Accenture, but the organization just felt very, 
very big and mm. it felt difficult to become involved in some of the things that I thought were going to be more interesting, like, you know, selling work or um, hiring or, or, you know, some of the aspects of running a business that were interesting to me when you're a new, you know, essentially a new grad in an organization like Accenture, you don't have the opportunity to do that for a number of years. And Morehouse was a company that I became aware of and, you know, went to one of their recruitment evenings and it seemed like it was going to offer me a great combination of those two things where it was still consulting. It was the same sort of work, but just far more entrepreneurial, as you say. And from day one, there was an expectation that everybody was involved in the sales process. Everybody was expected to be involved in recruitment, in marketing, in developing thought leadership pieces. So the expectation bar just became, you know, it was raised sort of mm. half a dozen notches. Um, the talent was incredible. It was, it was a really, really strong place for, with great people, probably about 20 or 30 people at the time when I joined. And I stayed there for five years or so. And it was a really great experience for me. I mean, Dom, who yeah, you've got had the pleasure of knowing as well is a pretty phenomenal individual and yeah. somebody who I had still do to this day, have a huge amount of respect for. And it was also a company that placed a real emphasis on fun, <laughs> you know, just having yeah. fun. Um, it was one of the one of the sort of mantras of the organization was we take our work very seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously. And that's something that I've, you know, it, it resonated with me then. And it's something that I'd kind of carried through to the teams that I've been involved in and led as well, because it reminds you of that, that how important it is to actually spend time to have fun and not take yourself too seriously. It shouldn't only be an organic thing. It actually needs work as well. Yeah, I, I think that's it's a really good point. And, um, you know, I, I was, Dom left a lasting impression on me. I think I was sort of three years into building JBM when I met him and went on a course that he ran. And and it was actually some of those points. I mean, yes, he successfully scaled and exited a, a business, which is no mean feat in five years. But actually, it was some of those other bits around culture, empowering others. You know, um, th there were so many different elements to, to, to creating such a special business, which clearly, you know, has helped your career. And, and I think that point around... Yeah, not losing sight of the, the, the having fun and enjoying each other's company because you spend all your time at work, don't you? It's something that's, you know, maybe maybe neglected. Um, and I think maybe in this time we find ourselves in in lockdown 3.0 or whatever you'd call this one now. It's probably more important than ever to, especially when we get back to normal, to, to actually, you know, make the most of that time we have with our colleagues. Well, listen, I wanted to just talk a little bit about before we come on to your scale up career, just about the those transferable skills that you picked up in that consulting period of your career, because it clearly, you know, helped you a lot. And I'm particularly interested for those that are listening to this that have aspirations of being a GM or a COO in a business, a startup, maybe later in their life, but maybe at the moment are in that, the thick of the consulting career. What for you have been the most beneficial skills that you took with you and that you're using now in your day, in your day job as a CEO? Mm. Yeah, there are lots, I would say. I mean, there's a, a whole bunch of hard skills that you learn in consulting, such as business planning, program management, stakeholder management, developing a business case, all those kind of quite hard skills. Morehouse was a project and program management specialist consultancy. So 
that became my sort of area of, of consulting and the skills that I learned there were very transferable and you know still still rely on a lot today but then I think some of the softer skills around the need to communicate effectively to work with people that you have only just met and sort of build a relationship with quite quickly if you're going into new clients on a regular basis those skills became really important and, and also being able to sort of assess the organization quite rapidly too going into i always felt the expectation or the sort of weight of being a consultant you know that there's a you're there for a specific purpose mm -hmm. you're an external there's probably people that are looking at you and saying you know what what have you got that you can bring to the organization now so i felt that sense of expectation and it meant that you had to understand the challenge really quickly understand how you could make a difference rapidly and then execute fast as well and that that sort of side of it i think is um is also something that you know you, you that will always have value yeah definitely and i think um consultants do cop a bit of flack every now and again but i think it's safe to say that the the you know that being thrown into new situations and having to pick things up quickly and the best consultants really do add significant value very fast right and i think i think that's what we're seeing there are definitely not all consultants are are well suited to the scale up and particularly the earlier stage startup environment but then we've also seen so many do so well because they actually are kind of have just very comfortable whether it's building rapport and winning hearts and minds and doing their kind of softer side or but they're just used to being thrown in at the deep end and having to you know learn on their feet and they're not so maybe thrown off by that ambiguity um so yeah i can see how that that really helped you in your career i look back to some of those moments now when i was sort of early days at morehouse and you know, it was very much in at the deep end in fairly choppy water sometimes with, you know, going into a new client and being expected to sort of just understand and, and add value quickly. And I, I guess I'm someone like a lot of people who, when you're thrown in at the deep end, you then get to see what you're made of a bit. And yeah. it was, it was fairly hairy at times, you know, it was a, it was a tough gig at times but looking back i think it was quite formative as well it was certainly i wouldn't say it was always fun because it, <laughs> it's you know those professional experiences that can make you sweat a bit but really valuable yeah and, and clearly character building i think we talk a lot about you know having stories to tell and you know those war stories and we've recently run a search where uh, the co-founder of this business was was really just wanted to see he was actually more interested in the things that have gone wrong and how you've dealt with it and i think there's something to be said for those those moments that actually make you sweat a little bit and put you out of your comfort zone because you certainly and you certainly had a lot of those in the next part of your career and we're, we're going to come on to talk about your uber journey before we get into the details how did that all come about because at the time you know moving from consulting into a tech scale that probably wasn't that well known over here you know would have been quite a big risk so tell our listeners a little bit about how you came to uber and what drove that decision well whilst i was at morehouse i got together with my girlfriend now my wife and she was living in new york and i was in london so for about six months we did the long distance relationship thing between london and new york and then i knew that i wanted to go out to new york and live there for a period of time so 
I also was really enjoying my time at Morehouse. And I, I pitched Dom and the team, the, the leadership team there, that we should start our first international office in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote a paper and took it to the board. Didn't really expect that they were going to take me <laughs> up on it, to be honest, but it felt like I should give it a shot. And um, in fairly typical Morehouse style, they said, okay, go and do it, but we'll give you four months to find a client and make it make it happen. So I went out there and kind of packed my bags and left and, and went to live with my girlfriend in New York and managed to managed to find a client. It was my first real sort of entrepreneurial experience, yeah. I think. It was I didn't have really any contacts in New York and Morehouse had been doing And it's not an easy market to having done some partner search in New York, I know how hard it is to to win business out there. So that's no mean feat. Yeah, and Morehouse also had been working primarily in the public sector. They, you know, we'd had clients with the Department for Transport and TFL and the NHS. So not clients that you could transfer over to, you know, having an office in, in New York all that easily. But I went and kind of hit the streets and hit the phones and started talking to the MTA who run the subways and the buses in New York and the Port Authority who run the airports because I developed a little bit of a transport specialism in the UK and through a fair amount of graft and a lot of good fortune managed to get a a client with the Port Authority. So then we sort of had a bit of a burgeoning satellite office. We hired a few people. And um, so that became the experience over there for what turned out to be five years. And we had two children out there and were looking to, to move back to the UK. So that was what sort of brought me to the search, I suppose, for a new, a new role back over in the UK. And I'd seen what Uber were doing in New York. It was probably two years ahead, approximately. Mm-hmm. And it had just exploded. You know, it had gone from nothing to this service that everybody was talking about and using. And I happened to see that Uber were looking for, for people in the UK so I was lucky enough to know, you know, have, have experienced a bit of it in New York and to see how good the product was. And, and it went from there. Wow. And you had quite a ride. And I know you started as general manager for, for Leeds and, and then Newcastle. Tell us a bit about that early experience of, of launching new cities and geographies. Um, how did you overcome the challenges you faced? It'd be great to hear a little bit about that, those early days. Yeah, well, I had been working in in Manhattan. I'd w- I was working first as a consultant and then I did go in-house for Goldman. So I was working at their headquarters in Manhattan with all of the, everything you would expect. Very glamorous, uh, yeah. yeah pretty, pretty nice place to be. And I moved the family back. We moved to Leeds and got an office in a Regis on the outskirts of Leeds in a trading estate with just me to begin with in a windowless wow. room to start the <laughs> Uber service in what was then the third city in the UK. Uber was going in London. It had been in Manchester for a few months and Leeds was going to be the next city. So it was quite a transition. And my first role really was to get the license in Leeds to start talking to drivers about this, you know, this app that they'd never heard of to talk to some of the people who would be customers um, and start making partnerships with companies who would 
then you know offer promotional codes to their employees and it was just it was everything i was looking for really it was very scrappy but with an amazing product in a, a business that was growing really quickly and it was a very much a roll the sleeves up and just get stuck in uh, experience. Yeah, and it, I guess it plays to that that consulting experience we were talking about, about being thrown in the deep end and having to learn on the job and pick things up quickly. Whether, because I know from, from those sorts of launcher roles, there really is a bit of everything from ops to hiring to sales and partnerships. Were there particular aspects of, of the, the skill set you needed for that role that you were really light on and you actually really had to pick up quickly? Or were you quite confident from day one you could you could nail the job? <laughs> Most of it, I would say, for that category. <laughs> it was <laughs> so with every new city launch like that for Uber, there were two uh, key hires in addition to the GM. So the GM would hire a driver operations manager who would take care of everything on the driver side, and a marketing manager who would take care of everything on the rider side. And in those days, that really did include absolutely everything. It was in. For example, we would respond to rider emails when people would say, I've left my phone in the car. Then oh, really? the, wow. that team in Leeds of three people to begin with would be calling up the riders and the driver and getting the phone back. So it was really a bit of everything. And it was, like you say, you know, you kind of just have such a broad scope that there were certain things that you know you feel comfortable in doing but there was an awful lot that it was just about learning how to do it on the job it was my first experience of having to do some press for example you know i'd never done that before and uber's just even then was such a great brand and people were really interested in it so there were sort of some presentations and interviews so it was one of numerous things that you just had to learn pretty quickly but there was a great team there as well yeah. that's the other thing it was it was very startup in its feel but also there were dozens if not hundreds at that point of cities around the world who had been through the same thing mm. so yeah did you have that kind of playbook that you could you could learn from and, and adapt very much so yeah one of the things actually that i believe made uber successful in those early days was the playbooking and the templates were really strong. It was mm. the launch team at Uber had just done a phenomenal job of documenting all of the steps that were required to go and launch a new market. And so there was a great toolkit to do that. Yeah, what an early experience. I'd imagine, and I know from, from our mutual friend, Fred, who, who was with you on that early journey, I joined after you, but uh, launched other cities. I remember there's some pretty long days, pretty full on. I'd imagine that first year was particularly challenging. How did you get through that? Because I guess at that point, there was probably a lot of pressure on you and it was a lot different to the Goldman Sachs life that you'd been leading um, the year before. So how, how did you cope with that? I guess the mental uh, side of that, challenge yeah it was full-on i it, it really was james you're right the first probably two years if not more was seven days a week and for example driver payments were done on a monday which meant most of sunday and once you got the hang of it you know probably three hours on sunday once wow. you're really in the swing of things were uh, preparing to pay drivers and if you got it wrong then you would have a queue of drivers yeah, on, outside the on Monday morning. 
<laughs> so it, it, it was full on. But and also we had a young family, just had our second son at that time. So it was a busy period. Honestly, I think looking back, it was a combination of really, really wanting to make it work and sort of seeing how great the opportunity was and, and wanting to grab it with both hands. And secondly, really enjoying it as well. Yeah. It, that that was the atmosphere, I think, generally within Uber was everybody really liked it. The work was yeah. very interesting. It was really exciting company, really, truly exciting that was just going places quickly. So that kind of carries you through just on that momentum. Yeah, definitely. And you went through this hyper growth um, and you yourself like your career just boomed at, at uber and you ended up running the uk business but it you know it had its ups and downs it's safe to say you had challenges and controversies along the way can you tell our listeners a little bit about s- some of those and just how you personally overcame them or what you learned from that that experience yeah the company globally had a kind of well-documented 2017 that was pretty atrocious and you know began badly and just got worse and worse uh which the ceo and founder ended up stepping aside the london license was not renewed at the end of 2017 and a whole bunch of other things that that sort of came out in the press just around the, the culture of the organization so that was a tough time it was interesting though because it didn't really feel like at least until the license decision in the UK for the first half of or nine months even of 2017, it felt like in the UK it hadn't really been the same sort of atmosphere. And it yeah. felt like the challenges that were happening in headquarters in San Francisco felt a bit more remote. So actually what ended up happening is 2018 in the UK business was probably a bit more difficult. We ended up having to go to court with Transport for London and as you mentioned, Fred, who and, and I were, you know, very closely involved. That became a very consuming part of the, the the role for both of us. Lots of time preparing for that for that hearing, and then going to court and acting as a witness to to get the the, the license renewed. So it it was it was a tough time. It became the the organisation just shifted very fast. You know, it went from being a sort of almost sort of do no wrong, you know, poster mm. child of tech startups to the opposite, you know, the poster mm. child, sort of how not to scale a business, if you like. So it was, yeah, it was a really interesting mm. shift. How did you deal with the scrutiny and the stress of that? Because you were, you and Fred were on TV and the press, you know, I remember I'd pick up the old paper and I'd see your face. It was really high profile stuff. And, and that can't have been easy because I know for a fact that the UK business, as you said, had had a fantastic culture, great people. It, it was removed from the, the issues that, that, that had been uh, sort of in, in the public eye. So how did you cope with that? And, and what for you were the biggest kind of learnings that you've taken from that? That, that difficult experience? Well, we had a really good team at the time. So that made things far easier than it, it could have been. We had a fantastic legal team. Our policy team were great. And just the wider business was excellent. So it really did feel like you were in it together. And there was still a lot of optimism and confidence that we would all get through it together. It was 
at times I think the, you know, the challenge just became the sheer workload. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I learned around that time was that, and I learned it the hard way, I think was just around delegating and sort of when you go through a time like that as a business, you need to be clear about the expectations of the rest of the team to, to sort of step in and support and probably set that expectation around delegation more clearly because there was a period of time that was you know many months where at least three quarters I would say of my time was taken up on just that one issue and you know in amongst all of that there's still the whole business to manage and lots of other things happening so if I if I look back on it that was one thing that I think was a, a takeaway yeah definitely no thank you and I'm sure this kind of it's not going to be the first tech startup that has its issues and uh, crisis to overcome. So I'm sure anyone listening to this that's that's kind of in those sorts of roles now will take a lot from that. You did have a wonderful ride there and there was many achievements to, to be proud of and you progressed very quickly. Um, and I, I know there'll be people listening to this want to tap into the secret source of how how you progressed and, 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 and what you know, I'd love to know what your advice would be for anyone listening to this that may be just starting their scale-up career. What are some of the things that you've learned that have really helped you move up the the ladder um, and achieve that sort of progression? Yeah, I think it's a good question. I mean, I feel that I wanted to try and be flexible around the type of roles that would come my way. I think that was probably something that we spoke a lot about at uber with with other people so if you look at you know some of the leaders that are at the business still today and people who progressed and then moved on it was really typical that people would have a bunch of different roles and you know be Mm. changing their role probably every 12 months so there would be some of those would be you know quite high profile and if you like the sort of quote unquote more interesting roles from an external perspective, but then some of them would just, you know, be newer roles within the organization yeah. that were standing up a new team and wouldn't have the same profile, if you like, and mm-hmm. being flexible to just those opportunities as they came along would be something that I would recommend. It's not always yeah. easy, I would say in all honesty, but that's part of the nature of it. Just being really, open-minded to org changes and you know seeing the bigger about where the business needs to go yeah and you i mean in taking on these sorts of roles you also put yourself up for scrutiny you know you were on in the paper you were in the press um, and i guess you've got to be a certain type of person to be able to handle that sort of pressure and um you know so it's not all i guess it's not all the better raises i know it's these sorts of um companies you've worked for and the roles you've had you know they're so impressive but they, they're not without challenge they're not without stress i'm sure you've had some really difficult days and i, I wanted to just to just touch upon your leadership style because obviously you've evolved quickly and you've progressed into COO roles, which we'll come on to talking about and and CEO roles. How has your style sort of evolved over the years? What are the things you've had to work on? Uh, And what would be your advice for anyone listening to this around kind of, you know, evolving as a leader? One of the challenges I had, I think, because I'd gone through that journey at Uber from, you know, quite an early point of building the, the you know a new city and a, and a few new markets from scratch was when you have that level of understanding and experience of the 
nuts and bolts of the business, it becomes quite hard to remove yourself from some of it mm -hmm. over time. So that was something that for me personally, I found difficult. I, I had quite a good understanding of how the, how the business worked. And it meant that stepping outside of that to just allow it to, you know, to, to work independently was something that I had to focus on a fair bit. And I'm really impressed by people who are able to do that. And there are people there who I look at today and they've just grown phenomenally within Uber from a really early stage mm -hmm. and are able to sort of scale their leadership at every step as well. And for me, it was, it was about how to, how to not be involved <laughs> too much yeah. and, yeah. To, you know, let the team take things on and manage it in a different way that, that you can focus on the other things that, that need to be done. Yeah. And I think there's that, we see this a lot, actually, particularly with founder led businesses is that knowing the right time to step aside and bring in new expertise or specialist expertise, and also to give people the space to make mistakes and, and run with things and empower them to, to do so. And yeah, so I think that's it's really good advice. Well, you, you moved on from a, a, a GM role at Uber, you became COO for um, Amira um, WeWork. And I wanted to just touch upon that that shift in role because there are distinct differences obviously there are there are definitely transferables but in your opinion what's what what are the what makes a good coo and how did you make that transition because it's a it's a move we see a lot of gms coming to us and talking about and and, and keen to make it so i'm sure there'll be people listening to this that would love to hear your take on it it was interesting in in regard to the previous point actually so for me it was an opportunity to to scale my leadership and mm. to take on a, a quite a different position within a new company. So the structure at WeWork was we had five GMs for territories across the EMEA business. And they reported into me in this role at WeWork. So it allowed me to sort of step up a little bit in terms of the, the team. It was kind of four or five times bigger than than the team at, at Uber, which meant really just through necessity, I had to think very differently about how I managed and the, you know, the work that I was doing and how I operated. So it was a good opportunity to take on that sort of a challenge and to sort of see the business from a different perspective. And also because I was new to it, I didn't have the same in-depth kind of experience and the some of the battle scars that i did at uber so you therefore have to think about how you interact and you know the work that you want to focus on and how you set your priorities in a, in a different way yeah that's really interesting yeah it's uh it's it, it was clearly a big step up for you but uh one you 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 handled with aplomb but again i, I like with all I, I guess you would never have anticipated a global pandemic coming about you know into your kind of probably your just after your first full year in in the role and obviously we work went through some pretty high profile controversies all things you wouldn't have anticipated i'm sure when you started how did you handle this i mean you're used to dealing with challenging situations but how how was it for you being relatively new i guess being associated with some of the the negative stuff and how did you kind of cope with that over the last sort of 18 months it was 
interesting. It, it was challenging for sure at times. Where I'd I'd come into the business, and then I think about three months later, we were filed to go public, and that became the beginning of a tough time for the company that really lasted right up until probably until I ended up moving on, and it was certainly something that no one could have foreseen yeah you're right and it was a it was a challenging time for a lot of people you know i was i was new to the organization but to see people who'd been there for up to 10 years since the early days and to have that sort of level of scrutiny and and negativity sort of put on the business was tough but it was an interesting time in that the the team was the team was really good and the team mm. came together well and sort of helped, you know, navigate through it together. So it was, it was very positive in that regard, actually. Mm. To, that was one of the things that I take away from it was the, the group of people that I was working closely with during that time was, was great. So it's an interesting one. I mean, going back to, to Dom, for example, one of his, as I was thinking about the move at the time, one of his sort of phrases that he used to use was whoever collects the most stories wins. Yeah. And I was... I love that quote. Yeah, and it, it, it just kind of works. And there was, it was an opportunity that, that came about to me during a time where I was never really sure what I would do after Uber, um, having gone through that, you know, that growth phase. And this just looked really interesting i knew that whatever happened it would be an interesting story and mm. it definitely was it certainly is yeah and, and quickly i really and i really want to come on to talk about arrival uh, your your new company and and role but before that just you you've you've worked for these massive businesses like tech businesses that have been in the press that have had their issues culturally for you what have you learned from those good and bad that you take you would take into your role as a ceo of arrival mobility like what are there, are there any particular things that kind of stand out to you that that you you'll make sure you'll implement or, or or things to watch out for it's a good question james i mean there's the old adage of you know the importance of hiring is a sort of never more of a truism and mm-hmm. the i'd sort of extend that as well to not only the, the practice of hiring and the importance of getting it right, but also getting those people embedded within the business effectively and making clear the expectations on the team. I think that was something that if I look back at the times where things were working well, that was one of the processes that was mm. really effective. And, you know, you'd have excellent people joining a business that was, giving them a clear mission, clear scope, yeah. and then allowing them some freedom to just go and make things happen, which sounds obvious, or, you know, but I think the flip side to that is sometimes if the business is just growing too fast and the bar is not where it needs to be in terms of the process for hiring, and then when people are coming into the organization, it's not clear enough how they can be effective and what they need to do to hit the strategic goals, things can unravel mm. quite quickly. Yeah, definitely. I think you can see with with those sorts of businesses and many others, yeah, if you're not getting it right 
culturally, if you're not bringing in the right sorts of people, culture ad, I think is, is the word a lot of people would use these days. It's not all the same person. It, it, you need diversity. That's proven over time. We, you know, Getting the right blend of skills and, and profiles is so important, but it really can go awry when it's just kind of, it turns to bums on seats just to kind of lead growth. And very quickly, some of the things that made a startup so special and unique and where you had a, you know, a team driven by uh, one mission, it, it quickly yeah, it quickly goes the other way, doesn't it? So that's really, yeah, really interesting. And I'm glad you said about hiring because it's something we'll quickly come back to in a minute. But you have recently joined Arrival Mobility, a real rocket ship scale up that came out of stealth mode not too long ago. Tell our listeners a little bit about what Arrival does and, and what your role involves. Sure. So Arrival is a UK headquartered technology company making electric vehicles from the ground up, vertically integrated. So manufacturing, designing and manufacturing, not only the vehicles themselves, but also the components that go into those, everything from the drive units to the battery modules, to proprietary materials that are used for the body panels. So the whole sort of end-to-end process of an EV, it started, first of all, with a focus on commercial vehicles. So the first product that will go into production next year is a bus, passenger bus. It's then followed by an EV van that will be a year later in 2022. And and these are designed, I mean, the industrial design around them is absolutely beautiful. It's really, they're really interesting and just great products in themselves take a look at them if you haven't seen them on arrival.com and they have been designed with sort of the the whole set of stakeholders in mind so if you look at the the bus for example it's how can that experience be transformed to something that's just radically better for not only the passengers but the driver the other road users the citizens of you know where the bus is operating the people servicing the bus and working in the depot. So that's the focus that, that the company is, has brought to the sort of vehicle. vehicle Incredible. What an exciting time. And yeah, the EV industry, mobility, this is, it's probably the, you know, one of the most interesting areas to be involved with at the moment. What, what attracted you to Arrival? And what are, your, what are some of your predictions for the, the coming years in terms of the future of mobility and, and what you guys can achieve in that space? I became aware of Arrival only at the beginning of this year, actually. The company is now five years old, but it operated in R&D sort of stealth mode Mm. for for a few years and it assembled an incredible team of engineers, software developers. It's it's a company that has a real focus on software as well. In fact, about half of the engineers in the business, which is you know, 400 people or so are software developers. Um, so it's a, it's got a real focus on that. The, the founder had previously worked in a telco, so it comes more from a sort of tech space founding, I should say, and exited a, a telco. So it comes from a sort of tech company mindset. And that was one of the many things that attracted me to the company. It's also, it's also just a really interesting space you know I, I i sort of missed transport and missed mobility a little bit if i'm honest when i when i left uber 
Um, so it's good to be back in that. I think there's so much happening. There's, of course, the EV transition is just accelerating almost week by week, but also, you know, autonomous is making strides every single year. And the sort of connectivity of vehicles is is going to be a huge component in the future of having vehicles that are well, a rival, we describe them as devices on wheels. And that means every single aspect of the vehicle is is connected and can independently communicate to the cloud and can be configured and upgraded and sort of serviced independently. So that, that really just transforms the, the, the process of kind of servicing and monitoring a vehicle so those technologies amongst others are transforming you know the the space there's a real interesting crop now of arrival very much amongst them of of new companies that are looking at what what would a vehicle look like if we were to design and manufacture it from the ground up starting with an ev skateboard and reimagining you know, what that should look like with the freedom of not being encumbered with, you know, 100 years of manufacturing process as the big vehicle manufacturers do have. Yeah, to. So it's so that, exciting. Yeah, yeah, that shift oh. has really sort of leveled the playing field quite a lot. Yeah, amazing. Oh, well, I I'm, I'm, can't wait to see how it evolves. And I've, I've seen the website and it, I mean, the, the products look absolutely incredible. And I know it, you'll be you'll be pretty busy, I would imagine, as a CEO for Arrival Mobility. And I know an element of that will be building your team and growing the business. And I guess wanted to the final sort of question was for anyone listening to this, and I know there'll be a lot who want to work for a business like Arrival, just what sort of things are you going to be looking for when it comes to, I guess, the types of people? What do you think will work best in a business like that that is, is growing so fast, but clearly has a real focus on on quality? Well, Arrival is really interesting in this regard because we're looking for people who've got all kinds of different skill sets. So the vehicle programs that I mentioned, the bus and the van, and we have a a small vehicle platform as well that um, that I'm working on also. And those programs, we're looking for people with automotive engineering, people with design engineering backgrounds who, you know, perhaps worked in some of the large automotive companies or some of the uh, suppliers and, and organizations around that industry. But we also have Arrival Mobility, which is a business unit uh, sort of focused on how do we accelerate the transition from owning vehicles to using vehicles. Mm. So thinking about those models that will become more important in the future. And, and for that part of the business, we're looking for people who've got business development or operational experience in some of the mobility companies, some some of the startups around mobility as well, or just people who've got you know good experience in operational sort of hands-on startups and, and large businesses as well. So there's a whole set of different roles that, that the business is, is looking for that, that makes it quite an interesting space. 
Yeah, very exciting. Well, we wish you all the very best for the next year ahead. It sounds like it's going to be a particularly exciting one. And we're sadly at the end of, of our chat, Tom. It's been a real pleasure. And uh, I know our listeners will find this episode really fascinating. Um, I just wanted to wrap up with a couple of final quick questions. And the first is obviously about mentorship. It would be a bit silly of me not to ask you that. Do you have a specific mentor or mentors and how have they helped your career over the last few years? I, I've, I, I've had a few people, I would say, who I've asked for help and guidance. We talked a bit about Dom. I would certainly put him amongst that group. And then one, when I was at Uber, I was lucky enough to have a sort of leadership uh, coach who was somebody that I could talk to about some of those challenges around the sort of things that we've discussed. So I, I guess I would say I've been lucky enough to work with some really inspiring and excellent individuals. And whilst I don't always necessarily pick up the phone when I've got a kind of decision to make or there's something that I'm pondering what i do often find myself doing is thinking how would they think about this what would what would i you know what would they advise me to do if i were to ask that's great that's, i love all the different types of answers we get to that and i think that's a really good way of looking at it and the final question tom for any of our listeners thinking about making a big career move what final piece of advice would you leave them with i would say the best thing that i've learned i think is to follow this sounds really corny james and I mean, you know what i'm gonna say but to make the decision with your heart rather than your head and i've you know i've certainly made one or two career decisions with my head over the years because sometimes needs must you know there was yeah we didn't really touch on it for example but one of the decisions to go to goldman i've been consulting there for a while and then i went perm in-house and part of that was um i needed to have a visa my wife was looking at stopping work because she'd had a our first child and i was consulting there and they said to me look why don't you join us and and i love the team i love the people so it really just made a lot of sense however if i'm really honest as much respect as i have for that organization it wasn't it wasn't me it wasn't really what i wanted to be doing and it wasn't too long before i was looking at tech startups and give me a bit more passion so whilst it is a corny cliched answer i would say that's my no it's a good one it's a good one something i would i would back up wholeheartedly i think again particularly given the year we've all had there's something to be said for you know, life is too short. And, and actually the people that I've seen that have typically been the happiest, most fulfilled, you know, who typically continue to progress and keep learning are the ones that are doing something that really they want to get out of bed in the morning to go to work. And something about the business we've tried to create is that we, we don't want anyone to have that Sunday night blues feeling. We want them to consistently be, you know, feeling happy and fulfilled and learning new things. So I think following your heart sir, is a great place to end this and brilliant advice as ever. So Tom, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure catching up. Um, and I look forward to meeting in person at some point in the months ahead. But uh, we wish you very well for 2021 uh, and beyond. Thank you very much, James. It's, it's great to be on. I really really like the podcast so keep up the great work thank you very much for for having me on thank you 
I really hope that you enjoyed that episode of the 40 Minute Mentor. And if you did, please leave us a review and tell your friends so we can continue to bring you awesome interviews from inspiring entrepreneurs and business leaders. Please also feel free to reach out at info at jbmc.co.uk. Thanks again for all your support.